John 16, 29, then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. It was frustrating for the, the uh, disciples, undoubtedly, that when they ask a straight question of Jesus, sometimes he would do a parable, sometimes he would say something that seems to be off the wall. Do you remember these? We've looked at these repeatedly. And they didn't know how to handle what he was saying. Sometimes they would come to him after and say, what did that mean? And the scripture says that he explains. And they would say, well, why don't you say that plainly? And he would say something like, my time is not yet. And it's all about Jesus had to play a very dangerous game when he was here. He had to let people know who he was. But if the wrong people and too many of them knew who he was too soon, it would trigger too many events uh, to where he could have been killed in the first year. Remember, he is in the center of the most fiercely monotheistic culture to date. And monotheistic cultures at that time not only were incredibly rare, they, uh, they lasted like this. You know, Egypt went to a, a mono deity, but one pharaoh, and they killed him for it, and then they killed all the people that supported him, and they went right back to the polytheism. So the Israelites had forever been one God. And to, have, to walk around there to say, I am the Father, the Father's in me, the Spirit's in me, and I am God, and he is... Oh, my goodness. Now, stoning, very possible. The scripture talks about one time that they, they, they laid hold of him to kill him. And the scripture then just obliquely says, and he turned and passed through the midst of them. And I'm going, I want a detail. How did he do that? When I was a boy, I assumed he punched and kicked and, you know, or turned them into frogs or something. Because that's what I would have done if I was God. You know, period. You're this, oh, you're, you're up for this then? But it talks about that they wanted to throw him off the cliff. And, and just work with me here. I think maybe they did. And he didn't fall. Then you could walk right through the middle of him. Think about it, this. Kind of like the, the Roadrunner cartoons where he would hold for a while in the air. But I'm, I'm not trying to be irreverent. But think about it. How other way are you going to turn and pass through a crowd that's trying to throw you off a cliff? And still be Jesus. Jesus isn't violent Thor God. So you throw him out, and he just kind of looks at you, hmm, and turns around. I would, I would make way. I would step out of the way. Just to guess, he's probably up there going, he's at it again, Dad. But I, I, I like it that he comes down near the end of his life, and he's talking to them plainly. He's got them in the room. Things are about to go, in human terms, incredibly sideways and tragic and bad. They're not going to understand it unless he gives them enough right now they, and they still didn't have time to process it. He goes, you believe at last. The NIV puts an exclamation point there. They didn't use those. Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You, all leave me, you will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's unpack a wee bit of this shall we um i love there it says you don't even need to ask have anyone ask you questions what that means is you're answering the questions that are in our head we're thinking of a question you're answering it I said wow you do know everything you are god 
And he's going, glad you got it. But then he gives them an amazing gift of grace. It's not what it looks like at first. When I was a boy reading this, I was thinking, that's kind of harsh. You know, you're all going to go away to your own homes. He didn't say it that way. He let them know, you know, back it up. All of this, I will never forsake you. I will be with you. He said that knowing they were going to fail. Knowing it was all going to go just like a dumpster fire like we talked about this morning. And yet, I love you anyway. I tell you this so that you will have peace. What does that mean? Have you ever sinned and wondered if God could ever forgive that? You don't have to nod your head. If, if we were nodding, I would be nodding. Uh, he is saying, I already knew before I made the bargain. I got this. In a lot of weddings I do, uh, I work them out ahead of time. We didn't work out much of anything here, they, uh, and that was uh, just fun. Uh, this is Fourth Avenue. We're different, so uh, it's, a, it's a neat place to live and be. But some, <clears throat> excuse me, some of them when we work out, I will talk about in my notes that you are making these vows acknowledging that changes occur, that bodies change, dreams change, ideas change, politics can change. All of these things, preferences, likes, dislikes, all of these things can change. But you're saying the one constant will be that you will love, honor, respect each other. Jesus made those vows to us, saying, I know you're not going to do very well, but I don't want you to beat yourself up about it. I'm giving this to you, letting you know I know this, so that you'll have peace on that day. Do you see now how it's a gift and not a slap? He's saying, when you fail, know that I've still got you, and I knew it was going to happen. Used to um, say something so often that now it's quoted everywhere, and I, I'm, I really, this will sound disingenuous, I, I can't remember if I came up with it or not. It's one of those things that I've said all my life, and now I can't remember where, if it came to me or somewhere else. But something I, I tell people is, when the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. You are saved. He is not. The lake of fire was not made for you. The book of Revelation <clears throat> I'll get my drink here in a bit. Um, The book of Revelation says that the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. You can say, that's not for me. That's for you. Um, I'm saved. God already knew I was flawed when he took me. And he took me. And now you have peace. And again, it doesn't mean that we're okay with being lousy kids of God. It just means when we fail they knew that was going to happen. It's going to, we have babies, and we know what's going to happen, right? Not details, but we do know, you know, messy diapers, lots of expenses. Now you have to adjust your, your schedule for the, the school schedule and on and on and on. We, we understand it, but we still have them. We understand this. It's okay. It's all right. And the other side, we also know we're going to make some mistakes with them. Uh, Mark Duckworth is, is one of my best friends and has been for a long time. And he's, I tell you, um, Fourth Avenue was given a great blessing when we got, for, got Mark. His instincts are amazing. He took his two young sons uh, to see, I can only imagine, 
Now, I, I've been told that it's fantastic, and even on Rotten Tomatoes, which hates Christian movies, it's way up in the 90s, which is, I think, probably the first I've ever seen. Um, I know the song that it's based upon and such, and Cam even asked, do you want to go? And I was going, nah. And the reason is because I know it's about a reconciliation that I'm not going to have. And at times, you can sit there and, and hurt. You know, I don't need to, you know, if I'm, if I'm uncomfortable, I'll slam my head in the refrigerator. I don't need to pay people to make me that way. So he took them, and he said during it, he, uh, this is the first non-action movie he'd taken his boys to. He's wondering how they're going to do it. He looked over, and they were crying, but they were absorbed. They were focused, and he, he can't praise it enough, so I may have to readjust what I'm thinking. Um, <clears throat> but then he went on and said, I couldn't help but wondering as I'm watching this, have I scarred my sons? Have I said? Have I done? Have I? And, and that's the kind of conversation that we all have, isn't it? I remember when, when my daughter was born, and I talked to my dad, and I said, um, um, see, how do you, oh yeah, he said to me, he said, I hope that you don't make the same mistakes with your children that I made with mine. Now, I didn't know how to take that, because <laughs> I'm one of them. But I turned and I said, I, I want that. Uh, I'm going to make new creative mistakes. And so I did. And yet, they love us, we love them. Jesus says, be prepared for failure. You're going to have failure. At Rochester, we put a lot, this is Michigan, I was there for 10 years, and I refer to it a lot because we have Rochester folk that moved down here for jobs and are still here. The... Um, we, we put a lot of effort into a new church plant east of us. And it was, it was a very different church plant. It was um, some, really our best people went. They were our, our young couples with all the skills, and they went. We, um, it was Christ Church Macomb, we called it. And it lasted about a year, and we had to realize this isn't going to go where we thought it was going to go. And so instead of you know, kicking each other around a table saying, who made these decisions? The shepherds made the very wise decision of having a celebration. We tried. We gave it a go. Celebrate your failures. You gave it. You can't fail if you didn't try. And I, I've never forgotten that response and how healing it was to, to so many who had invested time and money into this. So once again, he tells us this ahead of time. You're going to be all right. And remember, I have overcome the world. Can we talk about that one for a bit? In a world, you'll have trouble. Well, remember Randy Harris's take on Revelation? I've told you a few times. Satan has a team. God has a team. God's team wins. Pick a team. And I'm still upset that I didn't say that first. Well, the first sign of dementia is when I stand up and say, as I like to say, that, so just be aware, it's time to pick out the home. Uh, I love that. And he's saying, I've overcome the world. In the Bible, Jesus is the, print, is the king of the universe, de jure, by law. But he refers to Satan as the prince and the power of this world, de facto. In other words, Jesus is the ruler, but the one who's on the ground doing the ruling right now, when Jesus is walking about at least, is Satan. Be aware, we're not alone in the universe, and not everything out there likes us. I um, did science for 
a group of preachers here a month or so ago when I was talking about how much space there is out there for other things, not us. And it's not the way you're thinking. Remember the, when you had to do it in school, the nucleus and the S1, S2? I brought this up before, a week or two ago. Uh, if you, you can compress all of space, all of the earth, into something you could hold in your, well, you couldn't hold it in your hand. The density would be, it'd, it'd turn not quite into a black hole, not enough mass there, but it would be massively heavy, small object. Because most things are empty space. Right now, trillions, perhaps quadrillions, of solar particles are firing through your body, but it doesn't hurt because it's, they're, they're, they're not hitting anything. <laughs> they're going through space. It's kind of neat when you start thinking about unless you don't like thinking about stuff like that. There is room out there for things that don't like us. And I, it amazes me that so many ministers don't believe in a personal devil. That may shock you. But so many, I, was, I, was, I watched in a closed group uh, recently of, uh, of ministers, most of whom I, I, I can't say most of whom now because there are 700 there, a lot of whom I really know and, and I've loved through the years, who were questioning, is it a metaphor or is it? And I'm like, no, it's not a metaphor. We have enemies. Be prepared for trouble. I may have told you this story before, so forgive me if I have. Uh, we were first, it's got to be the first year we were in America, living in Ohio, because um, that's where the work was for me. And over in West Virginia, just a few hours drive away, Ohio Valley College put on a lectureship uh, every, uh, every year. I think it was the Inman Bible lectureship. And I'm, I'm just getting my feet on the ground thinking, oh, I'd like to go have a look at that. So went over, and for some reason, you know, I don't want to drive back three hours every night. So I, I got a hotel room. Next morning, got up and looked around. I didn't get a pencil and a notebook. And, I'm a, and I, I take notes. Nobody in the world can read them but me. I don't speak in tongues, but I write in tongues, evidently. So I need that. And I, this is before the Internet. This is the 80s. And so I was thinking a paper because I'm kind of an information data hound. So I'm driving through Parkersburg. If you ever lived in Parkersburg, you know where this is going to go as soon as I say the name. Looked over, and there was a thing that said People's News. And I went, right, that's it then. Uh, in Britain, you have news agents everywhere. And so I was, yes. So pulled over, ran in, looking around. I got a newspaper, and I found a notebook, a pen, looked up, went, eh. wall of pornography. Evidently, that's what People's News sells. I did not know this. <laughs> I'm standing here going, you know, there was no place to put your eyes, except back down, you know, and, but I, I did not think, my first thought was not, oh, the horror and sin and evil of all, my first thought was, the front of this thing is all glass, and every elder in three states is going, driving by this morning, and I'm going, how do I get out of here? Now, um, it was, and when I told the story, people said, doesn't that make you angry? And I said, I understand what you're saying, but I'm not surprised when I see evil. I know evil's here. That's what we deal with. I'm not surprised when people get sick. That's what happens on a planet. This is a battlefield. But we believe that Jesus, by law, has overcome the world. And when we leave here, we don't leave him. It, it make, and so I hope that, that you can understand the comfort that this is supposed to bring. Now he goes to pray, and we know a lot more about this prayer, um, prayer time elsewhere, but I, I want you to think about this. Before you read John 17, 
two things. One, Jesus had a choice of subject matter in his prayer. Could have prayed about anything. He knows he's about to die in a really nasty, brutal, hard, hurt way. So what does he choose to talk about? Is you. And the unity of the people who follow him. He prayed for unity. It's something to remember that, and when, that every day, look at the Lord's Prayer and this prayer, every day we get a choice of whether we help answer his prayer or not. We don't have to be divisive. We don't have to, we don't have to be like we are. We can be better than this. Well, he had a choice and he talked about you. That should warm your heart. Here's the problem. There's another hook here. If I say we are all united in Christ and you think of exceptions or how that might not work, you're not on track with his last prayer. Think about this. The, uh, the, um, the angry, better churches are dying, and, and they will be gone. Um, I don't say that with any joy, because people truly worship God in them, and they, they make a connection. They make thin places with God in those, and when they're gone, I'm not sure what is going to sweep in to take the place. Uh, and so I'm not saying that with any glee. But as those voices quiet, we also need to remind ourselves that there will be new voices coming in. During the last election, didn't every voice you hear seem to want to make you pick sides and divide? Pick sides and divide. And has it cooled down at all? No. This is the election that will never end. Uh, and and it, what's going on is that the devil needs to find new things to divide over. So he'll do this. He wants us to be unengaged with each other and disapproving of each other. So as we read down, think of two things. One, he prayed about you, and that should warm your heart. Two, he prayed for unity, and that's our job. Not to create unity, but to recognize that it exists. Do you understand the difference? Um, we're not saying that if you do this, this, and this, then you can be united with us. We're saying, since we are united in Christ, let us accept one another. We understand he is the one who unites us, not us. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Can you imagine how hard his heart would have been racing about this time? Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Look at that. What did he leave out of verse 3? Everything else everything we fight about, everything we draw our lines about. I have friends right now who are, we talked about politics, who are drawing such lines about we either, you know, we have to support, no, we have to, we have to criticize, and we have to, and it just, I'm looking at this going, and where is the Jesus? Where's the Jesus in this? Um, 
I don't judge them harshly, however, because I was one of them at one time. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Wow. That's a call back to John chapter 1. Why would he talk about glory, glory, glory? It seems, I, I had a discussion with a friend many years ago who said it seems he's pretty narcissistic here. You know, he's, he wants to say, um, all me, me, me. And I said, no, you don't understand what crucifixion was because you, you, you've only seen the cleaned up versions of it. Of course, now we've seen the Passion of the Christ. Uh, you know, that's another one which some people bought the DVD to watch over and over. And I'm going, eh, you know, once, once is enough uh, for me. Now, for them, great, great. But I, uh, there was just, uh, it was too emotionally rugged, uh, violent in my life. But uh, it, it did, uh, his scholarship was actually re really good on this, the way the crucifixions were. Pulling joints out of socket. Uh, humiliation was a huge part of this. Not just the pain, as odd as it sounds to say just the pain. Humiliation. You were always crucified naked. And as you died, body waste would be co coating over you. Uh, flies would be all over you. You can't move. Get rid of them. And unlike the pictures where you're way up high, your feet were never more than a foot or so above the ground so that passing people could laugh at you or be horrified by what they saw. It was an exceptionally brutal way to establish order in your town. And there were a couple of emperors that, uh, if I'm understanding history correctly, I'm not a historian, lined the roads with crucified people after a rebellion. And every time you walked past, you just saw these. I know in Breton, they didn't do crucifixion, but they would hang people and draw and quarter them, which I'm not going to describe, and then send body parts to the different castles to be hung out as you just watch the body parts decay. And you would, it's a death penalty if you took it down. Uh, they would put people in cages, lower them over the walls, and then no food or drink, let them die slowly, pitifully crying for help as people are walking around unable to help them. Humans are cruel, and Jesus knows he's about to go in the middle of this, this hurricane of humiliation, shame. Uh, when I was a boy, I heard a couple of preachers say Jesus uh, that didn't feel the pain, and I, that didn't sound right then, and now that I've read my Bible a whole bunch of times, I think that, no, no, don't, don't do that. Uh, he would have had the tears, the crying, the shout, the, the, all of that. Speaking to God, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me, not out of the world. They, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they've obeyed your word. Stop right there. How many mistakes did the apostles make? It was, it was a lot, right? It was a lot. And yet... He says, they, they've done well. Getting a little bit more peace about your life? I hope so. You believe in grace. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. 
I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. That's a problematic verse, isn't it? Why would we not pray for the world? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, let's say that I was an atheist, and my wife is, as she is now, uh, a, a wonderful, devoted Christian. And she prays that I become a Christian, and she wonders, why isn't that prayer being answered? The response really is, your prayers don't get to remove somebody else's free will and decisions. How unfair would that be? Let's say you're sitting here with Titan tickets, <clears throat> and I'm preaching a bit long, and you say, Lord, wrap this thing up. But don't we often pray and phrase it in such a way that other people don't get to make their choices? I believe that it would be perfectly in line, um, in line's not the right word, correct, for Cammy to pray, Lord, send your spirit or send the right people around him. What's she doing there? Exactly what he was, praying for the ones that God already has to get to where they need to be. As a, uh, I think it was Alexander Pope, um, an English poet, who first referred to, now that I say that, doesn't sound right, who first re, uh, referred to the Holy Spirit as the hound of heaven. Send the hound of heaven. And I'm, I'm saying it, it doesn't feel right. It may not be Pope. I'll have to look that up. The, um, they're yours. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for them. Maybe our prayers aren't answered sometimes because we're sending them out there uh, to areas he never asked us to pray about. We're to pray about certain things and for certain people. Now, let me forestall a question. What if your atheist friend is sick and you pray that he gets better? Of course you can. Of course. And I hope they do. And I hope they see the hand of God in it, but even if they don't, I hope they get better. We're talking about changing people. He's not praying that the Romans get an attack of conscience and decide this crucifixion stuff, it's cruel and unusual punishment, and we won't have anything to do with it. He didn't I, that's how I would have been praying. I would have been praying for something. You know, I would, let's bring in Alaric and the Vandals uh, a couple hundred years early and bring them in here. But no, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. Through them. That's a, this is a, a theological issue. Um, the them. Is he referring to the lives and behavior of the apostles so far, or is he referring to the words? And the answer is, I don't think the grammar is going to let you make a firm stand and die on that mountain. But either way, he's saying, I've done my work. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that we may be one as we are one. He goes on. Let's read that next verse for a stop. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm in the world. Oh, I wanted to stop right there. Um, do you remember, those of you of that age, 
the first time that you walked away from your child because now they're going to university or now they're going to school. Uh, I can remember when our little girl stood out there for the school bus for the first time. I was not okay with this. And the school bus door opened, and she was happy she could be a cute little ponytail button down the end, and walks up, and the step was too high. And so she just throws a leg over and starts climbing up, and I, that's where I lost it. And Cammie said, are you okay? And I said, the pagans got our kid. Because anybody that's not us are pagan heathen vandals and should be destroyed from the face of the planet because I need to be with my daughter. Um, some of you know that feeling. And then later, I took her to Lipscomb. And we couldn't talk for an hour or two on the ride home. We didn't say a word. She, I found out later, cried. We didn't know that. It looked like she was happy to be done with us. She was just kind of bouncing. She said she did that so that we wouldn't know how, uh, you know. And I was, well, well, thank you, but I would have liked to have known that. I would, that way I could turn to my wife and say, at least she's suffering. <clears throat> but, um, and I love my daughter and I love my son, and I, I love both of them fiercely. I don't have a favorite. But the hardest one on me was when my son turned 18 and left for the Marine Corps. Oh, my goodness. Because right then you know you're throwing him in, and we're at war. And you're throwing him into something. And I remember he turned and looked at me and said, see you in the stands. And that meant Paris Island graduation day. Hopped in his car and drove off. And I lost it. Uh, I, I literally fell against a wall. Couldn't even stand up. Because you're thinking, it's too soon. I haven't taught him everything. I've got to give them more. And something a very wise person told me once was, you will always feel that way about your children, that there's one more thing you should have told them. Now, here I'm depressing everybody. The point being, Jesus feels that way about you. He says, you know, I was with them, and I took care of them, but I'm going to be gone, God, and I'm going to need you to move in here and protect people. And that, my friend, is a prayer God wants you to do. To ask God, you protect these people. Because yeah, I, I did the best I could. But now I'm walking away. I'm, I'm, I need you to do this. I find that to be, I won't say it ineffably, but most people don't know what the word means. Um, unexplainably sweet. Yeah, it's just an overpoweringly kind of Jesus. He's about to go through it. They're not going to. But he's praying for them. Protect them. Watch out after them. Even knowing that they were going to mess it up. Now, I am interested in that none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction. Um, we got a few minutes here. Have you ever worried, worried about that? Thinking, did Judas really have a choice? Wow, okay, a couple of nods. I'm thinking, seriously? You're just going to look at me at this stage? Because in, in Britain, that was one of the, the biggest uh, um, objections to our story. Was they said, your God forced him to do this. It wasn't his fault. The other was uh, substitutionary atonement. They, they, it was offensive that somebody I do wrong and somebody else dies. We can talk about that another time. Let's talk about Judas. Did Judas have a choice? Yeah, but God knew what the choice was going to be. 
Now, does that mean God plans all things ahead of time? No, there's, we tend to go one way or the other on this, Calvinism or um, almost nihilism, uh, nihilism. But um, I think the scripture shows that there are some things God sends out ahead of time and knows, like the name of Cyrus, uh, who, who came and took, uh, took over Babylon. He knew the name, and he, he named him. There are other things that he does not, and in, like in Jeremiah, where he says, the people did this, and that did not even enter my mind. So, I'm just going to say the Holy Spirit knows the secret things of God, the scripture says. We don't. This is going to be a mystery to us. But Judas did have choices. I truly believe Judas would have been forgiven had he asked for it. Because Peter was. We still name our kids Peter. Look what Peter did. We don't name our kids Judas. The only difference I can see between them is one of them repented and one did not. It's like the, the frogs in a butter churn, and I know only about eight people in here are going to know what this means. When you, uh, it's an old story. I'm sure it never happened, but it's a great story. That two frogs fell into uh, a, a butter churn. Butter churn is where you milk the cows, put it in there, and there's a handle, and you do this all day, and, and eventually, you know, Land of Lakes comes out. Or, or I, I, I don't know. It's, it's magic. It's magic. It's kind of it's, it's like my laundry. It just shows back up in a drawer, and I'm going, Cammy, you got to see this. And, and she, the look I get. Anyway, the two frogs fell in, and they're trying to get out, trying to get out, but they can't get out because the, the, the milk level is below the, the end. They can't get out. And one of them says the other just give up and die, and he drowns, but the other one keeps going. And the next morning, the farmer's wife opens up the churn, and she sees a dead frog, and she sees one sitting on butter. It's a great story. Uh, I still wouldn't eat the butter. Uh, I would have some objections. Um, so we, but the point is, don't quit. Our first church, when we first came over, we weren't expecting to be in a church, um, uh, working for a church, but that's another story. There was a big teenager there, big. You might not have noticed it. I'm not a large individual. Uh, Joseph McCoy, and I will say his name, even though he may be listening to this, because he knows about this, and we've, we've, we've talked about it since. The church, when you left the building, there was a, a drive, and then there were steps up to a parking lot. Whoever put the steps in should be hauled before court, because they were too shallow, is that what we say? Uh, uh, for, you know, kind of like mincing a little step, but they were way long like this. So you had a choice. You could go up there like a geisha, you know, just kind of tiptoeing, and, or you could throw your leg wide and go up. But that was it. Those were your two choices. Well, he had made it very plain. He didn't think much of this little guy from, from Scotland that was messing up. You know, anyway, so he's standing up at the very top just looking at me. Big guy. Did I mention that? <laughs> So I'm walking up the steps, throwing my legs out like I'm John Wayne, getting two at a time. You know, you know, so I'm, I'm going up like that. He stood, and he snorted, and he said, well, you are a man, aren't you? And I stopped. And I turned to him, and I said, Joseph, a man is not measured by the length of his stride, but by its direction. I learned that from Jesus. I didn't tell him that. I just want him to think I 
was born with knowledge. He and I eventually became friends. One of my other favorite stories about him was he asked if we could do breakfast, and we did. And and I said, what are you going to do the rest of the day, Joseph? And he goes, oh, I don't think you want to know. And I went, well, I didn't. I was just being polite, but now I do. And uh, he was going to work for the first George Bush's presidential committee. And I said, why, why did you think I didn't want to know that? And he goes, you've always struck me as kind of a real lefty Democrat guy. And I went, huh. Next Sunday, a lady walked out. <laughs> and... Uh, I had preached a sermon, and, and she looked at me, and she, uh, she said, that was the most Republican sermon I've ever heard. That was his mom. <laughs> and that taught me a lesson. I'm a gene has now gone on to see Jesus. But uh, that taught me a lesson that perhaps what people think of me is more dependent upon where they're looking from than where I'm standing. It is, you're going to fail, but which way are you facing? Think of the armor of God. You, you, we all know the armor of God passage, right? What's missing? He, that's right. He copies the armor of the day except the back. The Romans, not always, by the way, some units removed the back panel, especially before a, a, what looked to be an exceptionally difficult fight because their, their philosophy was if you turn your back, you deserve to die. And so they removed that. I'm told in the American Civil War that you would shoot. Officers carried their pistols not to fight the enemy, but to shoot their men if they didn't, if they started to desert. Um, and Stephen Crane's The Red Badge of Courage, if you read that one, has some of that in there. So again, whether that's history or fiction, I'm not really sure. Uh, God points us forward. Think of think what Jesus said. Asking, seeking, knocking. Did you notice that? It wasn't knows it, found it, got in. It is which way are you pointing? Which way are you going? And remember those questions that God asked. The first question God asked is Adam and Eve. He goes, where are you? They were not walking to him. They were trying to walk away and hide. And that's what God asked Elijah. There are several times that God stops and goes, where are you? You need to realize what you're headed for, what you're looking for. Um, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given, it really, he's saying, I'm talking while I can. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. That's an interesting thing. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. By the way, there's always been a big question. Who was there to record these words? The Holy Spirit hasn't retired. I'm sure he helped John put this together. And Jesus could have very well sat down and said, before I went and you guys were asleep, I was talking about you and tell them. You know, remember, he had time with him after. So don't let anybody catch you on that one. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Wow. This is a heavy-duty prayer, isn't it? It's amazing. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Before I go further, um, I don't know what you know about the different uh, armed forces. The Marines, when you go into basic training, um, they, 
you lose your name. You never hear your name. It's recruit. Uh, I, I, I said that wrong. You don't get to say your name. I'm, I'm sure the DIs call you by a name. I'm sure they have plenty of names. But you have to say, this recruit would like to go to the bathroom. Or, you know, this recruit is a head call in the Marines. But this recruit with this, this, you're not even allowed to use I, me, mine, none of that. Uh, it is, and you don't get calls from home. When you arrive at Paris Island, the same out with Coronado, um, you, you, are, you make a call, and there's a card there that you have to read. You know, I have arrived safely at, I will be a, a, you know, out of communication for, and you hang up. You, you're not even allowed to answer or talk. And it's, there, you are isolated. And the whole idea is to, to break you down. And that whole yelling at them and making fun of them and, and aggravating them is all part of can they deal with it? Can they deal with confusion? Can they deal with injustice? Can they deal with all of this? Cammie and I knew, all right, uh, what do we do? How do we support him? So we, would, we wrote him letters every day. I think we missed two or three days uh, out of the entire 12 weeks there. Uh, and I would always put in scriptures. And they would be a lot like this, about this is a dangerous world. Keep your eyes open. And to this day, and he's been out of the core for some time, uh, every now and then he'll text me because he's heard something through what we call the Lance Corporal Underground. Uh, if you want to know something in the Marine Corps, ask the Lance Corporal. Don't ask the General because they're, they're the ones that get it. He'll hear something and he'll say what we said to him. Pray with your eyes open. Keep your head on a swivel. Watch and pray. And he, he did, uh, which is great. And, and I'm glad that it was absorbed then. But there are a lot of times where Jesus talks about basically praying with your eyes open. Let's, let's keep alert. Let's keep straight here. Um, by the way, do you know why we close our eyes before we pray? Neither does anybody else. We cannot trace that back to whose idea that was. I think it probably started with a get all distractions. And probably this did that as well. When I was a kid, I seriously, I was not an easy kid to raise. I, th I know, shock. Uh, I thought this was some form of a microphone because you could, they would not pray until the hands were folded and their hands were down. And I'm you know, kind of, psh, red leader, red leader. I, I didn't know what to do. And, and I, I also felt that it wasn't a real prayer unless you ended it with, in Jesus' name, amen. And I can remember, I, I would do my best praying at night when well, I used to. I'm 61 now. I go to bed, gone. But I used to lay there and pray and Sometimes I go to sleep and I wake up and go, did I say amen? Do I have to say it all over again? Or do my dreams work into the prayer? It was a theological issue, which I was uh, troubled by. He's, he says, you know, you're not of the world, but you're in it. Remember that. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Then he goes, sanctify them. Now, okay, you're church people. We only got a couple minutes and I got to hit the road. What does the word sanctify or sanctification mean? Set apart. Right. That's, that's the church definition, and it's a good one. God isn't asking you to look like everybody else and like what everybody else does and be like everybody else. What we did up here today during the sermon wasn't usual, right? He didn't call you to be normal. He called you to be different for, for a purpose. You know, I can staple my ear to be different, but why? You know, by the way, if you've stapled your ear, it looks lovely. 
we were all just talking about it. How are we set apart by the truth? Your word is truth. Now, this is where a lot of folk go into conniptions and say every word of the Bible, therefore, is the truth. Remember John chapter 1 and John 14. He is the word, John 14. He is the truth. Do you remember what he said earlier? They get eternal life if they believe that I am the Messiah sent by you. It's all about focus on Jesus. Got to stop. We started a wee bit early. We got about two minutes up here, but I'm, I'm not even going to hit that last verse in that paragraph because it's not a paragraph in the original. We're going to talk about that next time.